Hey, 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 for your information, listeners, this is Lester from Lester's Chicken Shack bringing you another tasty, delicious morsel for your mortal soul. It's chicken tenders covered in buffalo sauce and habanero dust with a volcano sauce mix built inside that's made out of ghost peppers and pepper x one bite will make you wanna fucking kill yourself ladies and gentlemen live from coast to coast we proudly present for your information with zach and john How exactly do you suck a fuck? Welcome to For Your Inflammation, a podcast about good movies, better cocktails, and best friends. And we're your host, Zach. And I'm John. Um, I like this movie. It was pretty neat. Um, it's got everything you want in a movie. It's got like weird imagery. It's like an engaging, high philosophy type thing going on. It's got a. It's got science. It's got teen angst. It's like it's like a hot dog. It's like it's just got all the stuff you want in there, but you don't know it until you're eating it. I, I don't like this analogy um, because you're it, it, like a hot dog is a bastardization of meat, correct? Like yes. let, let's not let's not mince the let's not mince the hot dogs and put them in the spaghettios right now. Like it, it is a bastardization. Like it it's literally like they shouldn't even be able to label it as a pork product. It should just be quotation meat end quote. Like you remember like in SpongeBob where they had like that. Like, where the guy came in and made, like, the automated Krusty Krab, and he would just make everything out of, like, this, like, gray gelatinous paste. Ah, yes, I do. That's what we should think hot dogs of. Yeah, it's just like, White that's, Castle. I mean, is, like, but White Castle's innovative. Like, and they, they don't try and lie to you. Mm. Like, they're like, this is not food. We legally cannot call this food. Right, it's food stuff. It's food stuff. It is... Just like Taco Bell, it's fourth meal. Yes, amazing. Now, this is the next question. Then is that are hot dogs tiny bolognese, or is bologna one giant hot dog cut into slices? Um. Well, first of all, it would have to be a hot dog that's pressed. And I also didn't know that bologna was like an amalgamation meat. Oh yes. Oh okay. See, I never liked bologna. It also comes in a big log, and they cut it off of the log. I don't like that. Have you seen that, like, the, I don't remember, like, what era this is from, but have you seen, like, those scary-ass, like, bologna clown loafs? Bologna? Oh, you're talking about the ones with the stuff in them? Yeah, and it looks like a clown face. Oh, yeah. That's terrifying. I don't Why would like anyone that. feed that to their children? You did not, it would literally cost you zero dollars to not do that. It would cost me zero, yeah, like, and it, it traumatizes me, and I never ate it. Anyway, welcome to the show. We've got our good friend John back. He's back from vacation. Uh, he's decided not to end the world. Uh, thanks for that, John. You're welcome. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. You did it. Alrighty. So if you couldn't glance, if you didn't glance at the title because you're just such a good fan that you just click on it anyway. This week we're gonna be finishing up our cult classic series, and we're gonna be talking about. Richard Kelly's debut film, Donnie Darko, from 2001. John, you said you liked the movie. Yes. Then why the fuck haven't you seen it? 
you know, I really don't have a reason for not seeing this one. I knew about it the whole time. I knew about it since, like, middle school when you talked about it the first time. And I was right. like, mm, well, I gotta see it. And then I just never ended up doing it. You know, I really, really liked this movie when I was a kid. This is what, I think this is what really got me interested in, like, quote-unquote what I thought at the time was unmainstream film. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, I could see that. I could see how this could do that to someone. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely a cult film for sure. Like it's got a small following now. It had a bigger following back in the early 2000s slash early 2010s. I actually first saw this movie when I rented it from Blockbuster. Ah, the Blockbuster. And I actually had to buy that copy from Blockbuster because I could not find this movie at any other store. So I had to go re-rent it to buy it. That because was my pick Yes, you could actually just buy it. So, like, it cost you, like, what, $5 to rent the movie, whatever. You could just pay the other $15 to own the movie. Huh, okay. I, I mean, it's a good system, especially if, like you, you really like the movie and maybe it's hard to find. You can just get the copy you have. Exactly, and then I traded out that stupid, like, hard plastic fucking blockbuster case and i stole my sister's copy of high school musical 2 put it in the stupid blockbuster case and then put the donnie darko in a regular case oh, did you like take the like the cover out yes. of it like the what is it, the leaflet <laughs> yes <laughs> that, i took that... it all out and put it in the blockbuster case so i could have a normal case she never noticed that is dedication i it, it is something i do to this day i like okay so i I went through a thing where I was, like, buying a shit ton of, like, Blu-rays from, uh, Second and Charles up in Harrisburg. Yeah. And, um, so some of them, like, the, the cases will be damaged or they'll have, like, too many stickers on them that I can't reasonably get them all off. So I just bought an entire, like, box of blank Blu-ray cases just to swap them out. Okay, how much does a box of blank Blu-ray cases go for? Um, I think it was, like seven dollars and i got a hundred of them wow uh, that was a lot more than i thought you could get yeah like it's not like it costed like the same amount as a blu-ray i guess you're right like, i mean uh, the, so is the intellectual property really just worth that much um it's worth whatever they say it's worth i think is more what it is ah like, so it's like currency yeah like especially if it's just like a normal ass blu-ray actually there's I, I actually had to read about this at one point. Not had to, but I did anyway. Right. Because I'm a fucking loser. Um Blu-rays actually cost a whole shit ton less to produce. So that's actually why they have like the Blu-ray DVD combo packs. Because huh. the DVDs cost more. So technically you're paying more for a fucking DVD than you are the Blu-ray. Now that is interesting. That is truly interesting. Uh, you heard it here first, guys. Uh, Blu-rays are a fiat currency. Uh, feel free to make <laughs> your Patreon donations to for your information in the form of Blu-ray digital downloads, which is essentially what your bank is doing with your paycheck. Exactly. Uh, that, no, but seriously, if you guys don't use the digital download codes, please send them our way, especially if you get like a season box set of something. We will use it. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. No, we absolutely will. Maybe we need to have, like, a uh, an archive project. Uh, so, uh, let me get... So, what you were suggesting is that we get our fans together and we create our own, like, voodoo or, like, my movies account. Yeah. 
and just all share the same thing. We are crowdsourcing a collection. Yes. That is illegal as fuck. You know what? <laughs> they gave us the technology. They can take it back or not. They can come fight me on my front lawn. <laughs> you don't want to fight the FCC, son. I will if it's a one-on-one -on -one for the entirety of the people that work for that industry or whatever <laughs> the fuck it is. Yeah, I'll do it. I, I I don't think you'll win, man. I really don't. Like, there may be hundreds of them, but maybe even thousands of them. But I have a crowd-sourced index <laughs> of films. So they're going to just... Like, I can't imagine that they're going to beat you up. I just imagine they're just going to be handing you cease and desist letter after cease and desist letter. Uh, so they're going to airdrop like a, like a pallet of cease and desist letters onto me. Yes. I see, I see. And they'll follow you. Like, anytime you go anywhere, you go to the grocery store, they'll be there. You you're, you go into the shower, they'll be there. It's it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or the Philosopher's Stone, if you're uh. not from America. Like, when all the fucking, like, letters fall through the goddamn, like, every orifice of the house. Yeah, that, that truly was like a gangbang on that house. The, like that was overkill like i understand that they were keeping the letters from him but like goddamn, i can't even imagine how long that must have taken to clean up you ever think about how they just dead ass were committing felonies <laughs> they were not giving him his mail but then again like it wasn't mail that was delivered by you know a postman so how does that work is it a felony if a fucking owl drops a letter off like I wouldn't want to be legally responsible for, like, if an owl just dropped, like, a fucking dead mouse on my doorstep. Like, am I legally required to, like, give that to whoever needs it? Uh, okay. Well, if it has an address stamp on it, then yes. But it's not from the government. Well, okay, if I walk to your house and I put a letter addressed to you in your mailbox, then, yeah, that is technically legally mail. That is different. You're a muggle and you're using the muggle mail system this is not delivered by the muggle mail system this is delivered by a fucking owl okay well carrier pigeons were a thing too at one point right but that's in the muggle world you know what pigeons owls whatever it's all just flying meat oh god and it is also not this movie not at all <laughs> oh god Oh, John, bring us back on track. Did you, did, were you able to come up with, like, the cocktail to end all cocktails? You know what, man? While you were gone? Yeah, I actually did. So, it's summertime. It's hot. Actually, right here, right now in California, it is 106 degrees outside. I was bitching because it was fucking 85 today. Ah, yeah, different world you live in. It is a different world I live in. Um, I don't know if it's worse or better. We both live in, like cool like somewhat metropolitan areas and we live in like the shittiest air like shittiest part of those yeah yeah so anyway yeah so cocktail it's super hot here um you don't always just want to drink like crappy beer you threw in your freezer or maybe you have a handle of vodka in your freezer because you just don't know how to drink liquor okay that's fine in fairness the vodka's the only acceptable one so you're fine you could keep the vodka in your freezer but uh i decided to make a wine cooler Ooh. Yeah, so sometimes, you know, you'd be like, oh, having this much of this spirit or this beer or this much wine cooler. Well, this isn't exactly like that. This is a type of cocktail known as a wine cooler. It's similar to, like, a wine spritzer that you might have seen, uh, like, a Ned Flanders type try to make. 
<laughs> I I can't hear white wine the words white wine spritzer without hearing um just loud death metal sounds. Uh Oakley Dokley. Yeah, the sounds of Oakley Dokley. Did you know they actually added part a, a section of an Oakley Dokley video into the end of one of the episodes of The Simpsons? I did not know that. So they they have accepted it. It is canon. Anyway, continue. I like it, and yes, we'll move on. So uh, this cocktail is called the Cool Your Jets cocktail. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, it's pretty simple. It's only got three ingredients. So you're going to take three ingredients, one and a half ounces of vodka, one and a half ounces of lemon juice, and one and a half ounces of Zinfandel, and you're going to shake it in your cocktail shaker with ice for 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, and 12 seconds. Okay, I have to stop you right there. What is Zinfandel? Because that sounds like it comes out of like an 18th century like French novel. Okay, so Zinfandel is a type of wine. That's all it is. So there's a couple okay. different types of Zinfandel. Uh, there's like a white or a pink variety. Uh, really, they just don't let the grape skin sit in there too long with that. And then there's the regular dark Zinfandel variety. That's what you're going to see in most places. It tends to be a little stronger. Uh, the one that I was using was like uh, about 14.5%. So it's pretty boozy as far as table wines go. Okay. And when you say table wine, this is like a, a wine that they would just bring to you then? Essentially, yeah. Like, if you just say, uh, let me get the house Chardonnay. They're, it, Chardonnay is like a typical table wine. Most table wines are really going to be like less than 14 or 15%. That's about where they cap out at. Everything past that's usually going to be like a dessert wine or a fortified wine or something like that. Not usually what you're going to be using for an application like this. Most fortified wines, stuff like... Um, your why am i drawing a blank right now it's literally the only vermouth yeah vermouth vermouth is a fortified wine i can't believe i okay. couldn't draw up the word vermouth fair enough okay so in in summary like a zinfandel or like a chardonnay or anything that's 14 or 15 percent is basically the basket of breadsticks of wines um you could say that yes specifically for zinfandels uh they tend a little stronger and they tend to be a little bit more like I don't want to say spicy, but, you know, they have more flavor to them. You know, Chardonnay is kind of sweet. It's a little, uh, it's fruity flavor, you know, same thing with, like, your Moscatos, even your Cabernet Sauvignons, wines like that. Those are what you would generally consider, like, a table wine. Okay, so the Zinfandel is, like, Cheddar Bay Biscuits. Yeah, exactly. And all the rest of them are Olive Garden, <laughs> are Olive Garden breadsticks. Got it. I Apt understand comparison. now. Apt comparison. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to take all those ingredients, shake them with ice. Uh, really, for about 20 or 30 seconds, you want to get some dilution going, but you don't want it to be too strong, so you don't have to shake it forever. Uh, and then you're going to strain it into a rocks glass filled with crushed ice. Now, Zach, do you know why you would use crushed ice in a cocktail? Um... I do not, other than if you were going to put it in a blender, maybe it would make it easier. Oh uh, yeah, it definitely would. Uh, you could also use cracked ice, it's practically the same thing. The idea is to increase the surface area of the ice that interacts with the liquid so it cools down faster, and it's not going to dilute quite as much past that. And it gives you more longevity in the drink, so it's not, like, it's gonna stay cool for longer. Nice, okay. But, like, also I've noticed, like, with crushed ice, it, like, the water disperses a little bit more evenly throughout. Is that what you just said? I'm sorry. Essentially, yeah. I mean, well, it depends on why you're doing it. In our case, we just want it to stay cool for a long period of time. So if it's cold and then you pour it into a glass with chilled ice, that's going to give you a different effect than pouring it in there with, like, whole ice cubes. What about, like, one of, like, I've seen a lot of people doing, like, those giant ice cube, like, balls. Mm-hmm. Like, is that also acceptable? I wouldn't do it with this drink only because it's meant to be, like, sipped like a normal beverage. If you're drinking, like, a liquor 
by itself. Well, it's like quote unquote on the rocks. Basically, you're gonna take one of those big ice cubes and put it in there. It's easier to manage the one ice cube while you're drinking the liquor itself than it is to manage several ice cubes. So okay. you ever get that thing, you know, where you're drinking it and then the ice just falls on your face because it all stuck together, but the force of gravity just breaks it apart? Yeah, that's my favorite thing. Exactly. When ice makes you feel like a fucking idiot. Yeah, that thing. So Or when like the ice just makes me its little ice slut. Like I like that too. That's one way of looking at it, yes. Uh two sides of the same frozen coin. So yeah, <laughs> if you put the one ice cube in there, you can still like drink the liquor out of the glass, but the ice cube's gonna run down and stop on your lip. It's not gonna like crowd around your mouth and make it hard to drink the liquor. Fair enough. Okay, I understand. Yeah, and that's why you do that. That's why you have one big round or cube ice piece. Okay, bring that all back around for people who got lost in my idiocy. All right, one and a half ounces of vodka, one and a half ounces of lemon juice, one and a half ounces of Zinfandel. Shake with ice for 20 to 30 seconds and then strain into a rocks glass filled with crushed ice. Beautiful. And that's it? That's all you have to do? That's it. Pretty simple. But, you know, it's really refreshing, and it's pretty boozy, too. So you don't have to have too terribly much of this to have a good time. Always drink responsibly, of course. I would never advocate drinking too much. Don't drink too much. Drink just the right amount. Um, everybody gets a pass, at least for the next, uh, till the end of this year, to drink a little more than you normally would. But that's just because you're home. Yeah, exactly. So don't... D don't don't develop alcoholism but you, you can definitely have like at least one more beer per day than you normally would exactly uh i hear the seltzer thing's really big right now i was doing that before it was cool yeah so now john's gonna be into like nitro brewed like whipped cream alcohol some weird shit yeah dude <laughs> dude like, can you whip cream alcohol um, I mean, you can have Baileys, so if you can make Baileys, then I'm sure you can come up with some kind of liquor whipped cream. That's amazing. Yeah, some kind of mousse, like chocolate mousse with booze in it. Chocolate mousse. <laughs> Disgusting. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely trash. That, that That is a trash food. Anyway, I think that we have gone off the rails enough and not talking about Donnie Darko, so let's bring it all the way back around. And, uh, is Frank back from vacation? It looks like he is. I don't see, I don't see his bus pulling up. John, have you heard from him? Uh, no, I haven't. Granted, I haven't been around, necessarily. That is true. Um, I, I mean, I guess, do you just want to read it, John? I mean, I know that sounds weird, Let but... me go and check outside for just a second. Okay. Do, 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 do. Hello, Zach. Uh, uh, hello? Um, who, who is, who are you? It's me, Frank. I'm a little sick. I, I can hear that. Uh, is that why you took a vacation day last week? Uh, I mean, uh, you don't sound good, buddy. I have a bit of a cold. And you're in a bunny suit. Um, is that like your pajamas? Yes, it keeps me warm. Okay. Um, it, it's terribly appropriate for what we're doing, but it's also making me incredibly uncomfortable. Um, so did, did you, were, were you able to watch Donnie Darko in your sickness? Of course. I have a lot of free time nowadays. Okay. 
Alrighty then. Uh, well, Frank, uh, just to avoid any of us getting sick, why don't you go ahead and give us that synopsis uh, good and fast. On October 2nd, 1988, Donnie Darko's world changed forever. He stopped taking his meds. A jet engine falls from the sky in his room, and he meets a six-foot-tall bunny rabbit named Frank. Frank informs him that the world will end in 28 days. Six hours. 42 minutes. And 12, 12 seconds. Beautifully put. Um, I that if I think that's gonna do it for everybody. Uh, yeah, please go collect your money and uh, definitely get better, buddy. Uh, we we want to hear more from you in the future. Thank you. Alrighty. Uh, yeah, Zach. I uh, wasn't able to find Frank out there. I uh, didn't smell him. Uh, I mean, someone just came in. He just came in. He was in a bunny suit. Oh, did he come in through the window again? Maybe. I don't know. Like, I just looked up and he was there. That's kind of strange. I have never known him to be quiet. I mean, you really can't hide the smell either, so... He said he was sick. Oh. I don't... I... I... Wait, hold on. I got an email here. Frank synopsis. Uh, here, I guess I'll do his voice. <clears throat> Hello. I cannot make it in this week again. Um, I will forfeit my pay, and I will take voluntary time off. So I guess that wasn't Frank. You know what? I'm going to just pretend like none of that even happened. I, I can't. Um, I always thought I'd be prepared for an encounter with the supernatural, and I was not. Huh. Uh, how is Frank doing email? I don't know. It says, sent from my Blackberry. Interesting. He's a Blackberry guy. Interesting. It, it's interesting, but it's also strange because I don't think Blackberry is a company anymore. Anyway, <laughs> all, all joking and all weird shit aside, let's get into some Wikipedia info. It's going to be our basic bitch info for this episode. So just in case you didn't know the cast or anything like that, we, we want to give you an opportunity to hear it here first. Before you go on Wikipedia and do probably much better research than I did. Exactly. Alright, so, as I said in the beginning, uh, this film was directed by Richard Kelly. It was his first film. Um, he... I think he was, like, an accountant or something before he made this movie. Nice. Yeah, it was very interesting. Like, I, he was... He went to film school, and I think he worked in a film office, and then eventually just, like, you know, meandered his way into getting funding for this movie. Which I'm glad he did. Ah, so it's, like, a much more accidental way of hiring from within. It's, like... It's the movie business version of how to succeed in business without really trying. Nice. I like it. I like his angle. I like I like your angles. They are very sharp. Mm -hmm. um, this movie was produced by Sean McKitnick, Nancy Huavin, and Adam Fields. Only one easy-to-pronounce name in all of that. Adam Fields. Adam Fields. Um, the film was written by, you guessed it, Richard Kelly. Okay, does that make him an auteur? Um, yes. Interesting. It, like, like I tried to tell you before, like, the auteur movement is kind of like a specifically 70s and 80s thing. But you, you could still technically call some people auteurs. Like, uh, I'd say if I had to pick one... Like, either Paul Thomas Anderson or uh, Wes Anderson. Ah, so not so both the Lloyd Andersons. Kaufman. Lloyd Kaufman is a mogul. <laughs> a mogul? 
<laughs> Lloyd Kaufman is the closest thing we will ever get to another Mel Brooks, in my opinion. I like it. I like it. Even though they were both making movies at the same time, which is interesting. Yeah, except Lloyd Kaufman is still making movies. Lloyd Kaufman is still making movies, but Lloyd Kaufman also isn't 97 years old. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I'll just be happy if Mel Brooks ends up giving us the Blazing Saddle stage musical that he said he wants to. But if not, that is also okay. You've given this world enough, my man. There anyway. is, like, a hole of things in pop culture that just need to be filled. You know, like, uh, the uh, Game of Thrones. Song of Ice and Fire needs a last book. Uh, you're never gonna get it. Like, <sighs> I, I've, I've never cared for it. But I, I just have a feeling you guys are never gonna get it. And, it, like, his son or daughter is going to have to finish it. I, there's just so much stuff that just needs to be done. It needs to be finished. I mean, how long has he been writing that book? Like, seven years at this point? Oh, it was, the first one came out in, like, I want to say 97? Right, but, like, how long has he specifically been working on this one? Oh, God, like, ten years, I think. Jesus. Yeah, see, that's, that's too long. Like, he... <laughs> I feel like he's just sitting in his office trying to think of ways to, like, fuck over the, the TV series. Right. Because I know, I know he was not happy with how it ended. No, of course not. I mean, HBO's a big beast, and they kind of get what they want, even if it's not a good ending, you know? I, I, we got the Top Gun sequel. Why can't we get <laughs> the end of Game of Thrones? Why can't we get a fourth Three Ninjas movie? Really, though? These are the questions that need asking. Oh, God. And it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. All right. So let's just let's just get through this really quick. Uh, the cinematography was done by Stephen B. Poster. It was edited by Sam Bowser and Eric Strand. Uh, it's a production company was Flower Films, which is Drew Barrymore's production company. Ah. Uh, distributed by Pandora Cinema and New Market Films. Uh, its release date was January 19th, 2001 at Sundance. And October 26, 2001, in the United States. Uh, it was a limited release, by the way. Very, very limited. Mm -hmm. um, the budget was $4.5 million, and the box office return was $7.5 So, a modest success at first. Yeah, they, bro they broke even, at least, and they made a little money back. Um, it made buku amounts of money on the home video market, though, and it still continues to today. Lucrative. Lucrative lucrative like the most luscious lube you can find that's anyway lubricative that's a different thing different type of economy <laughs> it's this uh, economy completely based on lubricant yeah it's the fuck economy the fuck economy i will give you three fucks for a berry juice right so when you say i don't give a fuck that you're participating in the fuck economy <laughs> You were so you were saying I wouldn't even give one fuck for that. Exactly. See, see, like when you say "here's my two cents," it's a similar phrase, except it means I give nothing. <laughs> so, like, is like a, uh, you know what? I'm not gonna get into this. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Yes, I am. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> different so phrase. Like, so, like, are the different like sexual acts like different? Um, like forms of currency like a dollar would be like a hand job and like five dollars would be like a blow job is that how this works uh it's not that complicated uh you know how like used to like change was considered a relevant form of currency and nowadays like most people don't even bother carrying any change with them 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, people used to say blow me, but that's so undervalued now that nobody even bothers dealing in blow me anymore. It's basically just, I don't give a fuck. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So, yes and no. So, yes and no. Got it. Anyway, uh, this f- Donnie Darko from 2001, the movie we're talking about this yes. week, stars Jake Gyllenhaal as Donnie Darko, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's real-life sister, Maggie Gyllenhaal, as Elizabeth Darko, uh, Divide Chase as Samantha Darko, who, if you know, if you recognize her, she is also the voice of Lilo and Lilo and Stitch and the little girl in the ring movie. Hmm. So, very interesting. This was actually kind of a jumping off point for her, this movie was. A uh, jumping off point. A jumping off point to uh, being a, um underrated Disney character and also a terrifying little demon girl. Amazing. What a career. What a career. Uh, Drew Barrymore as Karen Pomeroy. Uh, Seth Rogen in his first uh, film role as Rocky Danceforth. Uh, Patrick Swayze as Jim Cunningham, James Duvall as Frank, uh, Jenna Malone as Gretchen Ross, and Jerry Trainer as Fearful Student. Yes. Uh, also, you, Ashley Tisdale. Ashley Tisdale is in this movie. I forgot about that. Uh, also, if Jerry Trainer, if that is like ringing a bell in you, um, that is uh, Crazy Steve from Drake and Josh and uh, iCarly's brother. Oh, I like it. Uh, James Duvall, any relation to Shelly of the same name? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, it was worth a shot. Uh, yeah, Shelly Duvall, I do not believe has any children. And uh, unfortunately, Shelly Duvall is uh, kind of not doing so hot. I'm going to extend the invitation again. Shelly, if you can find me out here in California, let me help you. I, I don't think she wants help buddy I, th- I think she just wants to live her life anyway <laughs> someone's got to someone's got to be living for themselves in this crazy crazy world this world is insane and only the insane are truly sane that well, sounds like a horrible like 90s like subtitle for a movie yeah it's that early 2000s late 90s new metal grunge like uh got down by 311 vibes <laughs> If you listen to 311, fuck you. <laughs> just know, specifically, fuck you. Just disown half of our listener base. No, I've only known one person in my entire life who just, like, fucking loved 311, and I just fucking disowned the shit out of that guy. Anyway. <laughs> not specifically because he liked 311, but it was a contributing factor. Right. Anyway. <laughs> he knows who he is. He might be listening. Fuck him. If you're listening, fuck you. Um, okay, so let's get into this. Discourse and discussion. Uh, let's switch it up a bit. Uh, we're going to just like kind of talk about this movie because it's kind of a movie that demands to be talked about rather than explained. Like, This movie is a cult phenomenon. It was made by a, a new director, had a lot of new stars, new faces in it. It ended up being like big on the home video market. We've kind of explained how that works throughout this uh, cult classic series. So, I kind of just wanted to talk about Donnie Darko for this week. Is that okay with you, John? You know what? Let's go for it. Let's just talk about it. Let's talk it out. All right. Let's start with one of the most noticeable things about the movie is the aesthetic. Uh, Donnie Darko has a pretty big aesthetic. It, has a, it is a chunky aesthetic. It's, it's, it is the chunkiest little boy just trying to make his way on the waves with the little boogie board, but he keeps just getting hit again and again by the waves. And it's just hurting his soul. 
you could say that the movie is slathered in aesthetic. It is slathered in aesthetic, like very much like late 80s, like goth, like goth new wave shit. Like that that is what this movie is made out of. And um as and it's that's I mean that's further driven home by the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Which we will get to momentarily, but so, did, how did you feel when you were watching this movie? Like, did this movie like give you a certain feeling? Yes, uh, it's almost claustrophobic. I would say so. Yeah, it's it like a lot of the camera movements are very close. Yeah, a lot of the sets are really closed in as well. Like you can almost always see the ceiling. Right. Or at least that's what I noticed when I was watching it. I don't know if that's actually true or not. I mean, some of it takes place outside, but it's also when he's burying an axe in a statue. Yeah, which is pretty fucking dope. I don't know how he did that. Uh, crazy, crazy strength. Crazy old Maurice. Here um, we go. We're doing this. <laughs> you get me started on Gaston. <laughs> Tell them about Gaston. We, we, we have time to sidetrack a little more. I don't think there's anything to say about Gaston. It's just that he's maybe the best Disney hero and villain. Can you call Gaston an anti-hero? Um, I'm sure at some point Disney will run out of things at the bottom of the barrel and they will do a Gaston Redemption Arc movie. That's hilarious, and I just we don't give enough attention to the fact that he really is just a disenfranchised veteran. Yeah, I mean he's obviously got some mental problems, um, and the the uh, the VA is not good in 18th century France, and it's not good now. So there's that. Yep, some things have never been great. Some things will never be great. They can be great, but they won't be. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> Alright, so, I always get, like, a vi- like Donnie Darko, like, the world that he lives in feels like it's permanently just a gray cloud sky. Yes. Like, it's just very gloomy. Like, anytime I watch this movie, like, I feel like it should be raining. Even when it's bright outside in the movie, it manages to get dark somehow. Exactly. Like, it's, the, 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 the color palettes in this movie are very goth. Without the movie being outwardly, like, goth-looking. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Like, this... It looks like how I feel when I listen to, like, new wave, like, 80s music. Because mm-hmm. it, it feels somewhat hollow in a way, but, like, in a... Like, the, like it's the darkest hollow I that see you can you get in music to me. Like, uh, like, almost devoid of meaning, but, like, because of that devoid of meaning, like, literally anything makes sense does that make sense I, yes. I don't know if that makes sense you ever listen to Bauhaus yes that that's exactly how I'm that's how I feel right now <laughs> that, that's a, that's a statement anyway speaking of Bauhaus and speaking of music let's talk about the music in this film um I really love the music in it uh, it was the first time I was exposed to things like uh tears for fears and uh echo and the bunny men that's an ironic name of a music group to be a part of this movie Exactly. I mean, it had to have been done on purpose. It absolutely had to be on purpose. The Bunnymen. Yep, Echo and the Bunnymen. Um, but I think the real standout feature on this soundtrack for the film has to be uh, Gary Jules' cover of Tears for Fears' Mad World. Ah, uh, yes. Now, this was, this was recorded specifically for this film, and of course it's been used in thousands upon thousands upon thousands of other like forms of media but it did start here so did you know that going in not at all i listened to it and it fits so well because everything in the movie is supposed to be 80s and this is not really an exception 
yeah even though it was recorded in 2001 it still it still sounds like it fits mainly because it was written in the 80s but this particular performance was not made in the 80s right still fits yeah it fits really well and i think that anytime i hear it in some other media like whether it's a meme or you know another tv show i immediately think of donnie darko and it, it makes me sad how it's been kind of bastardized and like how i can't really take the song seriously anymore because it's been kind of like made to be one of those like you know cringy middle school ipod shuffle songs yes we all know some we, we've all got an ipod full of them somewhere god do you remember oh iPods? yeah do you remember do you remember ipods do you remember ipod shuffle do you remember owning um a copy of a papa roach cd oh <laughs> some things are best left in a museum and not on public display exactly put the entire roster of papa roach in a museum in a cage I, just I, no more that's where it would want to be i think dude can we just put like fossilized performers in like a zoo so that like everybody can come see them and they can perform so it feels like they're doing something but in all reality it's just like we're keeping you here so that we don't have to deal with you anymore so what you're talking about is like a super macabre wax museum I'm talking about pretty much an old folks home for singers. Ah, interesting. Yeah, and so that's how they pay for being there, is they use their talents to, like, you know, do whatever they do, whatever made them famous, and then people pay money to come see them, and that's how they pay for their room and board. This is an interesting business model. Um, I'm gonna have to see how it stacks up in the fuck economy. <laughs> Oh god, the fuck economy. Whatever we're going to end up using for currency in the next couple of months because money is obviously worthless. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, let's talk about the setting. We've talked about the fact that obviously this movie takes place in uh the 80s, the late 80s, if you will. But uh I don't know if I buy it necessarily all the time other than like the music and like some of the aesthetic like a lot of the, like the sets in this look very mid 90s and as a matter of fact sometimes late 90s like specifically the darko household to me looks very very like late 90s early 2000s yeah and you know for someone who didn't live through it you know it's big for me to make a statement like this but um maybe it was budgetary or maybe they just forgot i, th I it has to be but there's also just, like, no other thing that points to this being the 80s. Like, I guess I guess that kind of has to do with uh, what we'll get into next with the subplot. But it just didn't feel like they really used it being in the 80s to their full advantage. Yeah, I think that the, like, the content of the movie is better suited to the 90s. It's a little bit darker. It's a little more grungy. Uh, the 80s were not like that, really. Right, this is way more Alanis Morissette than it is Cindy Lauper. Sure, and I think that comes through in that type of stuff. The clothing, uh, the costumes, the styles, they don't really loan into that very well. Um, when I look at other movies that are very clearly 80s movies, this does not really reflect a lot of the more like striking examples of that, I don't think. It's no Back to the Future. It's no Breakfast Club. Like Breakfast Club, to me, it's like the quintessential 80s movie. I see what you mean. So, like... Well, really, any John Hughes movie, including your favorite movie of all time, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ah, uh, yes, um, the most boring movie ever brought to film. 
I don't know how the fuck you think that. I, I just feel like it's like... It's like you ever just hang out with someone for a really long time and then both of you are just like feeling like shit afterwards? <laughs> That's what that whole movie feels like. I'm gonna make you watch a mumblecore movie. Mumblecore. And then, I, and then you tell me if you think the Ferris Bueller's Day Off is boring anymore. I... He just screams about the car. <laughs> the car! My dad's gonna kill me! Ferris Bueller, you're my hero! What Dude, is that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Ferris Bueller's Day Off is. Like, I, I love all the fan theories where Ferris Bueller doesn't actually exist. But you know what I love even more? That it's not this movie. Let's get back to Tony It's Tarko. literally Napoleon Dynamite without humor. Some people would say the opposite, but let's not get into that. Wait, there we, are we, people out there that say Napoleon Dynamite is Ferris Bueller's Day Off with no humor? Yeah. What? <laughs> I, I think, I th okay, I promise, this is the most derailed episode ever, but, dude, I, I think you're, like, looking at Napoleon Dynamite with, like, rose-tinted glasses, like, that movie was tailor-made for people in our generation. Yes. Like, if you showed that to, like, someone younger than us, they would be like, this is really dumb. What is happening? And that and that is exemplified and made true by the fact that they tried to make a Napoleon Dynamite TV show, like, ten years later, and it failed horribly. It did fail horribly, but it was fun while it lasted. I, I We needed it. Napoleon Dynamite either needed a true sequel or an animated series, and... They gave us way too little, way too late, but you know what? I'll take it. It's the pleasures of an erection after age 65. Exactly. Where you could still technically have children. Isn't that fucked up? I... Yeah. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, women's reproductive cycle, like, stops at some point, and men's just don't, and it's not fair. Well, you know, they need their moms around, but clearly we have demonstrated as a people that they don't necessarily need dads around to be okay. It just helps. I'm the mom and the dad. Happy Father's Day to just me. I... <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Let's not elaborate. <laughs> All right, so... The, the subplot in Donnie Darko is, um, you know, it's the Jim Cunningham and the weird gym teacher, it, you know, it, and it just doesn't go anywhere. Like, you know, she really likes his self-motivational tapes, and, of course, Donnie and the rest of the school fucking hate them. Yeah. Because it doesn't make any sense, and it's, I guess it's kind of like, I think they're trying, like, it's trying to bring it into the 80s, it's trying to comment on, like, that cult of personality type of thing that was going on in the 80s with Ronald Reagan and how it was just like, you know, just be moral and just be happy and everything will be fine. Right, it's like a televangelism almost. Yeah, it, it was televangelism before televangelism. Did you know that, like, that's how they used to make their money was they would sell you tapes? So the tape itself is the money. Yes. No, 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 no. This is not one of your weird fuck currency things. This is, um, like, you would buy each sermon. As oh, a videotape. I see. I see. And yes. as we already know, DVDs are the most expensive medium. Exactly. Like, I think it would actually cost me less to make VHS tapes of something now than it would a DVD. It probably would cost me less to make a UMD. Do you remember UMD? Uh, not really. What, what that, we... that was the proprietary disc for the PSP. Oh, crap. I forgot about those. 
The little like <laughs> disc cartridges. Yes. Oh it, man, it, it it's made... like a floppy disk, but way cooler. Exactly, and like the, it actually put like standard definition video in your hands. The PSP was so underrated. I wish that the PlayStation Vita would have been cooler. I also wish that Xbox would just hurry up and nut up and make a fucking portable game console, but they won't, so it's fine. Yes. Anyway. Um, so, how did you... Did you did you feel like the subplot worked? Did you feel like it was just kind of, like, bogging the movie down a little bit? Or how did you feel? Well, I feel like it fits in the world. I feel like it mm-hmm. makes uh, Donnie out to be a little bit more of a hero than he otherwise would be. Because I, I think that... That's the other thing. It's like, I think we're supposed to glorify Donnie in this, and I definitely did as a teenager, and it's like, he's not exactly innocent in everything that's going on here. No, absolutely not. He's, I don't want to call him an anti-hero, mostly because Gaston is an anti-hero, and he is not Gaston. He, he is not at Gaston level. At best, he is a moody LeFou. A moody LeFou? All right, so... Knowing that, I think it's important that he has the little trek through the side plot. I think the uh, self-help guy, and then the burning down the house, and the whole <laughs> burning down the house. It really is the '80s, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and then the uh, like the, the whole pedophile thing coming out, and like he he is actually a good guy, actually doing good things, but he is also burning down buildings. He is burning down everything that he can. Like that is like the most destruction that happens. It's burning or like flooding the school like that just sounds like a bad senior prank flooding the school yeah like it's truly just damaging public property well it's a private school so damaging private property (laughs) good fuck them i (laughs) fuck private schools if you went to a private school fuck you (laughs) but again that's the other half of the listener base we have the down by 311 side of the listener base and the private school side of the listener base and they're both gone now I just want new fans. Yes, they want... are mutually exclusive. <laughs> they are mutually exclusive. So you you can't have gone to private school and be a 311 fan. Exactly. I mean, I'm glad that the two worst kinds of humans can't combine. Right. But we'll we'll live. We'll live. Exactly. All right. So let's t- let's talk about the cinematography a little bit. So did you have a favorite? Like, I know you talked about how everything felt claustrophobic and like all the like cameras were like very close up but did you have a particularly favorite like shot in the movie yeah i think the bathroom shot where he encounters frank through that veil of whatever it is uh that was a really well done shot uh shooting with mirrors in the background like you've said before is super hard to do Mm-hmm. so i appreciate that when they do it uh visual effects obviously are pretty good considering the budget and the time in which it was made uh i think it gets the point across and it sticks with that kind of claustrophobic thing yeah and it's it's endlessly iconic like you that that's like one of the scenes you think of when you think of this movie agreed um i really like the scene where he's coming out of the back of the bus like no one fucking does right you would have got your ass beat if you did that when we were kids well, like, it would make the emergency alarm go off, and then the bus driver's gonna have to sit there forever, and he's not gonna be able to go home and smoke his crack before he has to be back there to take your ass home. It is the only way to be a successful bus driver. You have to smoke crack. It's perfect. <laughs> it is necessary. I mean, think uh, about it. What sober person is gonna drive around a bus full of fucking eight-year-olds? Dude... Like, I would rather drive a bus of eight-year-olds... This is gonna sound really bad. I'd rather drive a bus of eight-year-olds around than a bus of, like, shitty high schoolers that, like, don't have a car. 
Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, I think it'll be more evenly distributed among the 8th graders. Or not the 8th graders, the, like, 8-year-olds. Whereas exactly. the high schoolers, you're going to have super tr- problem kids and super not problem kids. You're going to have kids that are, A, too scared to drive, B, don't have any friends so they can't grab a ride to school, or C, like, kids that just should not have a license, and sometimes they are all in the same. So sometimes there's there's the all of the above kids, and those are the back of the bus kids, and those are my kind of people. Yes, the ex-con section of the bus. Yes. Oh, man. Did you know that, like, I was talking to, like, uh, my fiance's, like, little cousin. Like, did you know that apparently now the bad kids sit at the front of the bus and not the back of the bus? I'm interested to know why. I don't know why. Because, like, you used to want to sit at the back of the bus if you had a very short attention span. Because then, you know, you could, like, feel all the bumps and shit. Huh. I think uh, maybe this is just a weird, like, Pennsylvania Dutch regional thing because they make the front seats of the bus out of that, like, regular vanilla wood colored <laughs> furniture. Not every vehicle in Pennsylvania is a fucking, like, Amish thing. Dude. So, <laughs> when it gets cold, do they put, like, a flannel blanket over the bus? <laughs> no, they just wrap it in a fucking, like, um, like a fucking hoagie bun. Oh, nice. And they toast it. But there's no it's, bugs it's... out because it's too fucking cold. So they're not going to eat the bread off the bus until spring. And that's when you know it's spring. So, so the bus doesn't have a bun on it anymore. Oh, looks like the bugs got to it there. Uh, that was Midwest. That wasn't even Pennsylvania. But, you know, the, it's it's the bread bus keeping your little pierogi children warm. I... Do they have pierogies where you are? Because I'd never heard of fucking pierogies until I moved up here. Uh, no. No, I don't think they have them out here. I haven't seen any. Uh, there really doesn't seem to be an awful lot of, like, traditional European cuisine. There's, like, a... There's a town out here called Kingsford, and it's, like, a small, like, Swedish-influenced town. Like, you remember Helen, Georgia, how it's, like, a German town, like a Bavarian thing? Yeah, I went to a wedding out there. It's super weird. Yeah, it's this is like that, except it's in the middle of, like, dusty flatland farms, and it's Sweden. That is so weird. Like, it is odd. Like, because you're used to, like, you know, there being, like, a Chinatown or a little Italy, but you don't think about all the other, like european nationalities you know what's fucking crazy though is this isn't even a part of a bigger city this is like a solid like 20 miles from fresno that is so weird yeah that is so weird out on its own it's its own incorporated township or whatever and it's truly just like they have like the the flags up and like the downtown area and their little speakers that play like uh like oompa music or whatever I, i don't even know what it's called like traditional like fucking swedish music I'm gross. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. <laughs> Absolutely disgusting. All right, so Swedish meatballs and pierogies aside, let's talk about the ending of Donnie Darko, the real thing that everybody always talks about. Yes. So, so John, did you understand what happened at the end? Yes, I think. Okay, so, like, I'm just going to go through some... This is... What I'm everything I'm about to read to you is from the Donnie Darko book, which uh, Richard Kelly had to go back and write so that he could make sure everyone understood the movie, hmm. <laughs> because a lot of people were very very confused. 
okay, so I'm going to break this down in the key terms that he outlines in the thing. So Donnie Darko is it's essentially a time travel movie. Right. So, but it's also a parallel universe movie. So let's get into it. So the first chapter of the book is called The Tangent Universe. <clears throat> so And it reads as such. The primary universe is fraught with great peril, war, plague, and famine, and natural disaster are common. Death comes to us all. The fourth dimension of time is a stable construct, though it is not impenetrable. Incidents when the fabric of the fourth dimension becomes corrupted are incredibly rare. If a tangent universe occurs, it will be highly unstable, sustaining itself for no longer than several weeks. Eventually, it will collapse upon itself, forming a black hole within the primary universe capable of destroying all existence. Does this make sense to you so far? Yes. So, something causes a rift in time and creates a parallel universe that is doomed to implode upon itself. Yes. Okay, so chapter two, water and metal. Water and metal are the key elements of time travel. Water is the barrier element for the construction of time portals, used as gateways between universes as the tangent vortex. Metal is the transitional element for the construction of artifact vessels. Ah, so this is why aliens come to Earth, is they want our water so they can make transdimensional portals. Exactly. That that would be my guess. Other than they just want to, like, see how this experiment they created is going. It's going bad, guys. It's going real bad. Like, this season got dark. Yes. This is, like, deep game Grey's Anatomy shit going on right now. A 4.3 out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> but it's a 9 out of 10, but only on IGN. Uh, anyway. Yes. <laughs> I don't trust those guys as far as I can throw them. Anyway, um, chapter 4, The Artifact and the Living. When a tangent universe occurs, those living nearest to the vortex will find themselves as the, at the epicenter of the dangerous new world. Hmm. Artifacts provide the first sign that a tangent universe has occurred. If an artifact occurs, the living will ret will retrieve it with great interest and curiosity. Artifacts are formed from the metal, such as an arrowhead from an ancient Mayan civilization or a metal sword from medieval Europe. Artifacts returned to the primary universe are often linked to religious iconography as their appearance on Earth seems to defy logical explanation. Divine intervention is deemed the only logical conclusion for the appearance of the artifact. Ah, uh, so this makes me think that the Belle Delphine thing was all a big time portal mishap and that the jars of bathwater were the artifact. Ugh, I don't know, man. She, I, I think that if you need any proof that there is no god or any divine intervention that could possibly happen, it is the fact that she is now selling her own piss in a jar and people have bought it. Alright, so how do we validate this? Is someone working in, like, a lab, and they're also really into Belle Delphine, and they're like, I'm gonna test this and see if it's real pee. Like, what are you gonna do when it's not real pee? Are you gonna come out and be like, it's fake pee! And they're like, why did, why do you care? Why did you <laughs> why? buy it? <laughs> it is, it, it, the things that desperate, lonely people buy, not desperate, lonely people, I'm, I'm gonna take that back. The things that people buy from their favorite, like, porn star or, like, sex workers, it's going to always endlessly baffle me. Like, I swear to God, Belle Delphine could put up, like, fucking toenail clippers that she used and people would pay $300 for them. 
Uh, yeah, I'd say that's a pretty safe bet, actually. If people will buy her pee, they will definitely buy her toenail clippers. I personally think she's working way too hard. You should take a break. She did. She just disappeared for a little while, but apparently she's back. Yeah, I... I, I just I completely ignored it. I was like, that's fine. I didn't know you were gone, and I'm fine with it. However, I will say my favorite Belle Delphine moment is when she faked making a Pornhub account. That was hilarious. Good good joke on the joke joke. Good joke on your listeners. <laughs> I mean, you're fucking goddamn it. Belle Maybe she Delphine, should have podcasts. I don't know what it would be. Fuck economy. <laughs> Fuck economy. Welcome to the fuck economy with Belle Delphine. Um, I'm naked right now, but you can't see it unless you give me a thousand dollars. Um, anyway. Hey man, that's ex- money is a construct just like Blu-ray value. Exactly. If uh, it's like to, just to go back on that, not to harp on it too hard, but think about it. When a new movie comes out, the Blu-ray is usually like twenty-four dollars, and the DVD is twenty. Do the math. They got you. They got you in their grip. Exactly. And, like, anytime it's just a Blu-ray and it doesn't have a DVD in it, it's, like, fucking $10. Gotta think about it. Anyway. It also doesn't make any sense because, like, as soon as, like, those DVDs don't sell, like, they always don't, they sell them for $4. There you go. Why? Uh, Because they gotta recoup their losses. I guess so. I guess that's how much it actually costs to produce those things. Anyway. Um, so... Let's go on to chapter 6, The Living Receiver. So, the Living Receiver is chosen to guide the artifact into position for its journey back to the primary universe. No one knows how or why a receiver will be chosen. The Living Receiver is often blessed with a fourth dimensional power. These include increased strength, telekinesis, mind control, and the ability to conjure fire and water. The Living Receiver is often tormented by terrifying dreams, vision, and auditory hallucinations during his time within the Tangent Universe. These sur- those surrounding the Living Receiver, known as the Manipulated, will fear him and try to destroy him. I'm really glad that there's a Living Receiver this time, because last time there was a dead Receiver, uh, someone lost their coroner's license. <laughs> I hate you. Chapter 7, The Manipulated Living. Again, lost the coroner's license. <laughs> if weekend at Bernie's is very illegal, just so everyone is completely aware. You cannot do a weekend at Bernie's in real life. Anyway, Chapter 7, The Manipulated Living. The Manipulated Living are often close friends and neighbors of the living receiver. They are prone to irrational, bizarre, and often violent behavior. This is the unfortunate result of their task, which is to assist the living receiver in returning the artifact to the primary universe. The manipulated living will do anything to save themselves from oblivion. So, if you if you need some help getting caught up here, basically, um, the tangent universe was created when the when Donnie was not in his room when the um when the jet engine fell through. So technically, in the real universe, Donnie is supposed to die in that. Right. And because he wasn't in there when that happened, it created a parallel universe. The jet engine is the artifact, and Donnie is the living receiver, and the manipulated living are all the people around him. And now we're going to talk about insurance traps. Ooh, insurance traps, like Velox. No, this is insurance, so E-N-S-U-R, so to ensure that something is going to happen, not insurance fraud. Oh, I see. 
Although insurance fraud would be interesting. That is an interesting concept. Let's not get into it. I don't have time for that. Okay. So the manipu- So a group called the Manipulated Dead will set an insurance trap and the living receiver must ensure the fate of all mankind. Uh, this is when Donnie kills Frank and Frank kills Gretchen. You know, that whole thing. Yes. It's an insurance trap. Now, I just said something that you I haven't got over, and it's the Manipulated Dead. This is what they do. The Manipulated Dead are more powerful than the Living Receiver. If a person dies within the tangential dimension, they are able to contact the Living Receiver through the fourth dimensional construct. The fourth dimensional construct is made of... Water! The Manipulated Dead will manipulate the Living Receiver using the fourth dimensional construct. See Appendix A and B. We're not doing that. Um, The Manipulated Dead will often set an insurance trap for the living receiver to ensure that the artifact is returned safely to the primary universe um and if the insurance trap is successful the living receiver is left with no choice but to use his fourth dimensional powers to send the artifact back in time into the primary universe before the black hole collapses upon itself okay so what i just heard was you have two people that want money the one person fakes their death that's the manipulated dead and then the person that's due to collect that person's money is killed by the person that faked their own death, ultimately giving the first person access to two different life insurance policies to then split with the person that faked their own death. Correct. Yeah, so they got away with murder, and they got two different life insurance payouts. Correct. Well, they get to go back to the real universe. That's what as it good. Is. That's as good. So Gretchen is, a, is manipulated. She's manipulating Donnie into being at the right place at the right time whereas frank is manipulating him from beyond the grave so to speak in this tangential universe so that donnie will have to take the thing back to save gretchen and frank i see and the universe that's that is essentially the end of the movie is donnie because he understands that he has to save the universe he has to die and that's what happens at the end that's why it's weird okay yeah no i i see that this is a good breakdown and honestly you've done a really good job i hope that the people listening at home if you have a home uh are happy (laughs) their home isn't destroyed by a jet engine (laughs) we don't want to be home racist yes exactly (laughs) um yeah so that is the end of donnie darko it's always hotly debated but this is from the man himself this is this is if you could piece together his weird book that he wrote about his weird universe that he created, um, it's definitely no red wall. I'll say that for sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a <laughs> Westeros type situation. Exactly. So, Looking at you, George R. R. Martin. Just finish the damn book so the nerds will shut the fuck up. Just just finish it so they can make a fucking tabletop game out of it. I don't know. What, what do they want, John? Do, do they want... Do, do they do they want 99 virgins? I don't know what the Game of Thrones fans want. I don't know what they want anymore either. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we have dis- we have now discussed a little bit about the aesthetic and like how the movie like how we feel about the movie. We've discussed how it ends. John, do you have anything else to say about Donnie Darko? That sums it all up. Leave the kitchen sink. Leave the kitchen sink. Um and I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh Please give us, uh, you know, some five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. That makes it very easy for other people to find us when more people give us five-star reviews. 
And if you don't have an iPhone, find someone that does. Just find someone on the fucking, like, bus station or wherever you're at and just be like, hey, can I give my friend's podcast a five-star review from your account? And they'll either say yes or you're going to go to jail. And that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make from you guys. Yeah. (laughs) Also, follow us on Facebook. We we update that pretty regularly now. Uh, We've been pretty bad about it in the past and like the past month really it's been pretty bad this past month has been weird guys so we are we are back to normal uh we we actually finished the series we actually did something we said we were gonna do yes mainly because we mentioned it in an episode and it's like fuck now we have to do it yeah man (laughs) so john we're happy to have you back uh lindsey was great uh we'll have her back on at some point or another but uh this is a zach and john thing so john Welcome back. Glad to be back. Alrighty, and that's going to do it for For Your Information. Um, I'm Zach. And I'm John. Watch a new movie this week, guys. Uh, Don't try... Try not to create a tangential universe. That sounds like a real dick thing to do. Yes. Bye. Do you know who voices Chuck E. Cheese now? Uh, uh, Tom Kenny? No. No. The guy... The lead singer from Bowling for Soup. How am I not surprised? You shouldn't be. It, <laughs> it, it's it's perfect casting. It is, I guess. It's as perfect as it can be. What did Chucky really need a voice? I mean, for the for the uh, fun time pizza show thing. Yeah, yeah. He does. Oh, I see what you're doing there. Yeah, like I mean, like how how's like if Chucky just came out and he didn't talk and he just like had that those big like unforgiving eyes and he was just staring into your soul mm-hmm. like at least if he sings a silly song about pizza it feels a little bit better but if he just came out and there was just ominous rock, rock music coming from like behind him and there was nothing else going on it would be like uh <laughs> it would have to be black metal <laughs> or just like ambient like uh, synth noises. Ah, right. Wow. Some uh, liquid mind, maybe. Wow. 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 Uh. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> maybe, maybe some, um, maybe some double bass Indian flute. Some uh, postmodern, you know, like orchestral music going on. <laughs> And then the Chucky, I, like, the, the animatronic Chucky's only job is to vibrate really hard on the stage. <laughs> he just fucking just... <laughs> it shakes the whole stage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Almost as if, like, there's, like, a malfunctioning car on the stage. Yeah, exactly. If like, you, you busted sit, an if... engine mount, and it's just bouncing. If you sit close enough to it, you will also feel the vibrations. Yes. Like your teeth hurt after sitting there for a few minutes. Um, and you can no longer have children. Ah, yes. The friction of your own sperm cells against each other have killed all of them. 